Good morning, church. Looks like vacation season is here, and I uh, appreciate your attendance. And uh, as people go here and there uh, during July and August, and uh, hope that you can be able to be in attendance as much as you possibly can. Our attendance has been looking good. I've been in, um, we've reached the point uh, in our, at least in my tenure here, that uh, I'm disappointed when we're not at 600. I remember when, when I came here, if we reached 550, I thought that was really good. But we're kind of to the point, it probably won't happen in the summertime as much, but in the fall anyway, that we're over 600, and that's good. Thank you for continuing to invite your friends and let them know we're not the only good church in town. I know that, but um, appreciate you spreading the word uh, about uh, Xenia Nazarene. We're in a sermon series this summer uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're calling it um, the Summer on the Mount, and we'll go into some couple of weeks into August or so. As we go down, uh, not exactly verse by verse, through chapters 5 of se- to 7 of Matthew, it's what that teaching, uh, those words of Jesus are called the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been going through uh, that, and we will continue to make it through that through August. Last week, I showed you this uh, quote by C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis, one of the most influential Christian writers, at least, probably writers in general, um, of the uh, 20th century said this when uh, someone thought he was criticizing the Sermon on the Mount. And this was kind of his retort when he came back. He says, uh, as to caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for it here means liking or enjoying, I suppose, suppose no one cares for it. As you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's a pretty high level of Christian living. And I I just wonder sometimes as you read that, you say, well, am I really a Christian or not if this is what Jesus expects of the Christian on the Mount, of the Sermon on the Mount? And that's what C.S. is trying to get at here. Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of a man who can read that passage, Sermon on the Mount, with tranquil pleasure. He says, if you read this passage of Scripture and you really enjoy it, and you just get good goosebumpy feelings from it, you're in a deadly spiritual condition. Because he says, converse would mean people that are alive in Christ look at this and say, wow, God, give me more grace. God, give me more mercy. I need more of your spirit because Jesus puts this Christian life Uh, at a pretty high plane in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, So, as you hear these sermons and as God speaks to you, you're not hearing me say, just do better, just do more, just grit your teeth, just try harder, just serve more. I, I, I don't like to use this word, but it's applicable here. I hate that type of preaching, okay? Your response to the Sermon on the Mount is, God, give me grace to go deeper in you. God, give me more of your spirit to walk, so I can walk more like you. God, empower me my more, with more of your grace so I can be like you. But if you hear this with, oh, I got to do better, and I got to try harder, and I got to get up earlier and stay up later, that's not the objective here. Because the Sermon on the Mount is not something you can do. The type of lifestyle, the kingdom life that is, that is 
uh, relate for us in a sermon on out. It's not something that you can do by gritting your teeth, by trying harder, by recommitting yourself, by resolving. It's something you do as you surrender and let God, through His Spirit, do something in you. So if you get hit by a sledgehammer, as C.S. Lewis says, don't, you're probably getting the Sermon on the Mount pretty well. And this, one of the biggest hammers of the Sermon on the Mount is the passage that we looked at last week. And I'm not going to recount that whole sermon, but in Matthew 5:48, I attempted to tackle one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture. And, and I didn't want to avoid it, and I didn't want to shy away from it. I tried to give a good biblical teaching on 548 of Matthew. Because being perfect as your heavenly father is perfect is just an audacious statement. No one's perfect. We know the Bible says that no one's perfect. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word perfect in the original language means complete. It means whole. It means um, person of integrity. It means to be used, uh, to be performing at a function like you were supposed to be performing that. Be functioning like God has intended you to function. It's not a flawlessness. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that context is in love. And we talked about perfect love last week. And it wouldn't be a good translation, but it may be a good paraphrase if I say in Matthew 5:48, love as your heavenly Father loves. That's not a good translation, but it may be a good paraphrase. It may be good down to the meat of what it's trying to say. Love as your heavenly Father loves. And we talked through that passage of Scripture last week. If you weren't here, you may want to check that out on the website. Now, in God's Word, I've told you this before, but in God's Word, you've got chapters and verses, and chapters are numbered 5, 6, 7, verses are numbered 1, 17, 32, or whatever it is. Those are not inspired. That's not part of of God's inspired word. Those chapter divisions and those verses were put in there by man, and I'm thankful that they were. Because if we didn't have any chapter divisions, we would just turn to the book of Matthew, and I would say, well, turn to that teaching there on uh, Judge Not. It's about four or five pages there and across there. No, that would be really hard for all of us, okay? And so the fact that we have Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 is a really, really good thing. But sometimes when we have those chapter divisions, we think, okay, we're going from end of chapter 5, which this is the last verse in chapter 5, and we're going to chapter 6, we have a completely different thought. Not so. That's not necessarily true. Sometimes it may be true, but that not, that's not necessarily so. The chapter divisions may be a good chapter division and be a new thought or may not. I think this is a good chapter division, but I don't think it was a new thought for Jesus. I don't think he was shifting gears. I don't think he was changing directions. Because right after he says one of the most audacious things that he could possibly say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, he then goes straight to Matthew 6, 1, and then gives us a way that we can be whole. That, that word, that word that perfect gets translated to, as t- word teleos, it gets translated as perfect. That's a good translation. It also means whole. It means complete. So right after Jesus says, be perfect, comes Matthew 6, 1, I don't think we're shifting gears. 
I don't think it's a new thought. I don't think, okay, I'm done with that part and I'm going to change subjects right here. I think Jesus is saying here, here's one way that you can be who I've called you to be. Here is one way that you can be whole as a Christian. Here's one way you can be complete as a Christian. That you can be a Christian of, of integrity. That you can function as I want you to function. Okay? So be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How do you do that? Be careful. Be careful. That you don't do your good stuff, your good Christian stuff, in front of other people to be seen by them. Be careful. Be careful. What's, what's your motive for your acts of righteousness? Um, some translations would say your charitable deeds here. Acts of, this, this translation is probably the best. When you practice your righteousness, when you go around doing your good Christian stuff, okay, as you go around being a Christian, don't show off about it. You don't have to always do it in front of other people to be seen by them. This is not at all saying don't be a Christian in front of other people. It's saying what's your motive when you do something in front of other people? I mean, we all live amongst other people. And you can't read the Bible that, and say that our Christianity is not supposed to affect other people. It most definitely is supposed to affect other people. Love God and love others is the great commandment. So we have to practice our Christianity in front of other people. We just don't wave big banners about it. We don't say, look how much I'm a Christian. We don't make a big deal about it. We do it with a motive not to be seen by other people. The motive is not that so you will um, be able to pat me on the back. The motive is not that I would, someone would see me and say, what a great Christian I am. That's not the motive. And if that is the motive... Um, you're not being whole. You're not being complete. You're not living your life with integrity. You're not functioning as a human being is supposed to function. All that that word teleos, translated perfect, means. So, you people who have a desire to be all that God wants you to be, why is it you do what you do? That's what this verse is saying. Why do you do what you do? See, one of the reasons that the Sermon on the Mount cannot be read with tranquil pleasure is because the Sermon on the Mount, it's like God reaches His arm way down inside of us to the place where we make our choices and our decisions in our life. And he wants to touch that very place. He just doesn't want it to touch us externally in, in, in our behavior. He wants to get to the root of the cause. And he, he wants to know why it is I do what I do. And you don't know why I do what I do. I don't know why it is you do what you do. God knows. I can fool you. You can fool me. We can put a big charade on for everybody. We can have a masquerade in here, and we can all be playing games, and some of us are probably good enough actors to pull that off. But 
God knows. And, 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 and the external behavior, you cannot read the Bible, New Testament or Old, that God is not concerned with our external behavior. You can't read that. He's very concerned with our external behavior. But he is even more concerned on what drives our external behavior. He's even more concerned of our motive and our intent. So he says, be careful. You, you want to be a perfect person in a biblical understanding of that word? You want to be a complete person? You want to be a whole person? Do the right things, but do them for the right reasons. You want to be a complete person? You want to be a whole person? You want to be a person of integrity? You want to be a human being that functions as human beings are supposed to function? Don't just act good. By the grace of God, be good. Don't just act good. By the grace of God, allow Him to come. You know, some people, when they preach series on the Sermon on the Mount, I almost did this, but I, I, I chose to go a different way. Some people will title their sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I, tons of preachers have done this. They, they, they title it Inside Out. Because that's really what Jesus is calling for here. A, an inside out type of Christianity. I watched a video of a guy starting a sermon series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and he, came out, and he came out here with his clothes on inside out. God wants to reach down inside and wants you to live your Christian life from the inside out. And how easy it is. Be careful! How easy it is to live it from the outside in. Be careful. It's easy to drift that way. Jesus, like any loving parent, God, the Heavenly Father, like any loving parent, warns His children here, be careful. It's not just what you do, it's why you do it. You know, when, when you're warning somebody to, to be careful, you're, 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 not, um, you're not saying be careful because I know you see this thing coming up. We're worried that they don't see this thing coming up. My wife and kids went to Wisconsin uh, to visit Sue's mom and dad. And so, you know, they, they left and, and, you know, I told Sue, be careful. I didn't tell her to be careful because, be careful, don't go 120 miles an hour. She's not going to do that. That's not going to slip up on her. But, you know, you can be just be driving, driving on 70 and going through Peoria and just relaxed. And, man, something could happen just like that. Just out of the blue. Be careful. You don't have to tell them, be careful, don't go 120 miles an hour. I'm watching out for that. I'm watching my foot. I'm, I'm going to make sure 
that my foot doesn't get that heavy. Okay, I don't have to warn people on that. But be careful. I know you're going to have a good time. I know you're going to have music on. And the boy's going to be on their, on their iPads. And be careful because anything. And I wonder if this is what Jesus means here. As you go along your Christian life, uh, no one really expects this to happen. Uh, you, you, get, you get saved and you sense some newness in your Christian life and things are going well. But man, sometimes there can be a slow drift. No one, no one makes, a, makes a right turn and, and suddenly starts living another way. But sometimes the, the Christian life can become routine and I just get in the habit of doing this and I do this and I get up and I come to church and I do my devotions and we have prayer with the family and we just we're just living our Christian life and we're just going among the routine and I may have lost the passion of my first love the book of Revelation warns us against and I'm just doing the stuff of being a Christian and why am I doing that stuff of being a Christian is the big deal. Be careful if you see your heart, if you see your heart pulling away, be careful. If you see yourself concerned, really, really concerned about what other people are thinking of you, and even more concerned about that, if you could see yourself doing some things so people would think you're a really, really great, be careful. You're heading the wrong road. It's a, it's a slow it's a slow drift to the type of Christianity that is just doing your righteousness to be seen by others and not just doing them for the glory of God. The Heavenly Father, through His Son Jesus Christ, warns His children, be careful. Why do you do what you do? Be careful about just acting good. Be careful about right actions that are not accompanied by right motives. Be careful. It can be a slow drift away from the heart of Christianity for the Christian who's been on the way one year, two years, five years, seven years, ten years, fifteen years, it can be a slow drift away, and all of a sudden, they're just doing the actions. They're just doing the stuff. They're smiling when they're supposed to smile. They're giving. They're teaching. They could be doing all those things that are really good. But Jesus says, if you don't do them with the right motive, you're not going to have any kind of reward in heaven for that. You might get a reward here on earth. If I'm doing it to be seen by others, then I might get that reward. Because that's after, that's after all, that's what I'm after, right? To be seen by others. Be careful of a slow drift. Be careful. You might, you might find yourself in this, and you didn't even think you were going to find yourself in this. Some choices that you have made along the way, some slow drift that you have made along the way, have compromised your Christianity and you're no longer doing it for Jesus. You're trying to perform for other people. Casting Crown sang a song several years ago. I guess, I guess the, the, the group Casting 
Crowns is probably past their prime now, but they were a huge Christian group maybe 10, 15 years ago. And they have a song called um, Slow Fade. Slow Fade. Would you listen to these words, please, Karen? second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings be careful little feet where you go for it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow it's a slow fade when you give yourself away it's a slow Those songs said Jesus is the lover of our souls. And he says, be careful. Be careful. There can be a slow fade in your Christian life. And all of a sudden, a life that was being lived for God 
is being lived to keep up the image for everybody else or reasons other than doing it for the shine of God upon you. Be careful. Be careful. And the verse, it says, be careful when you do your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. To be seen, I think this is fascinating. I didn't know this till this morning as I took one last look at the original language. To be seen by them is one Greek word, and it's where we get the word theater. Theater. Putting on a performance. Acting. Playing like you're someone that you're not. Be careful. Someone has said life is a stage, but be careful on that Christian stage that you're not just performing. You're not just play acting. We'll read a verse in a second that, that talks about, says you're a hypocrite if you do that. The, literally the word hypocrite in the original language means actor with a mask on. Be careful on your acts of righteousness. Be careful on why you do those things. Continually ask yourself. Don't get immune to it. Continue to ask yourself the why question and all of that. Now, as, as we continue down the passage, Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, Jesus gives three examples of what not to do. Now, I, sometimes I think because he gives these three examples, giving, praying, and fasting. Because he gives these three examples, I think sometimes we think, well, these are the only three areas that this applies to. No, I think 6-1 applies to our whole Christian life. But this just happens to be three examples that Jesus gives. 6-1 is an overarching umbrella on, on, on Christian life. When you're living the Christian life, be sure when you're out there doing the things you're supposed to do as a Christian, you're not doing them in front of other people to be seen by them. You have to do Christian stuff in front of other people, but it's the motive. And Jesus gives three examples. He says, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets. I don't know if this was a tradition of the day. I don't have any clue. We don't have that now today, but we do have this little saying that says, don't, blow, don't toot your own horn. Don't toot your own. Let somebody else toot it. So when you get to the needy, don't, don't, don't announce it to everybody that you're doing it with big trumpets. As the hypocrites, that word is the word actor with a mask on. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others, truly they have their reward. What, what were they going for? They wanted to be honored by others. They got what they wanted. They have their reward. Do you, do you trust God enough? To let him see you do your Christian stuff in secret, not tooting your own horn. Do you trust him enough that he sees? He sees. What all the rest of the Christian world may not see. Do you trust him enough that he sees? The Bible refers to a day that's called the judgment day, or sometimes just in Scripture it's called the day. That Christians will stand before God. And it will not be a heaven or hell type of judgment. That's been taken care of by the cross of Christ. But it will be a type of judgment on how we lived our Christian life. 
Truly, Jesus says, if you live it this way, you've already got your reward. And that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 seems to indicate that, that some people will, their works will be burned up. They'll be like wood, hay, and stubble. They may got a reward here. So, so, so Jesus says in the next verse, 6-3, when you get to the needy, he's obviously speaking with hyperbole here, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't have a show-and-tell type of Christianity. Now, if you're, if you're a Bible student, you know back a, f- a few verses in Matthew chapter 5, it says, be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and let your good deeds be seen by men so they will glorify your heavenly Father that is in heaven. Those two things kind of contradict one another. Again, it goes to motive. Why is it you do what you do? Why do I bow my hair in prayer in public public restaurant? I've had maybe three or four times in my life somebody's come over to me and said, we appreciate your prayer. And I didn't stand up and make some big deal about it. You know, we just took joined hands of family, just like we do at home. I, I, didn't, I didn't do that to be seen by others. But I'll, be, I'll tell you the truth. My heart, even though I, my motive is not... If God wants to use that, he can use it. If he wants to use that, he can use it. What you're giving should be done in secret. Then your father, who you trust, sees in secret. He sees what is done in secret. Then he'll reward you. 6-5 of Matthew. And when you pray... So here, 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 giving prayer and fasting, just examples of this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I pray every Sunday to be seen by others, right? Look, I mean, look, look, I stand in front of you all every single Sunday. Is that wrong? It's not the act, it's the motive behind the act. If, if you're poor biblical student you say well you you should never have public prayer because look look at what it says no it's not the act it's the motive it's the intent of the act truly i tell you they've received their reward in full six six of matthew but when you pray go into your room you take that literally if you want to the old, old king james says go into your closet it's basically, again, just going to motive. It's not, that you have to, it's not that you have to be showy in front of other people. I've told you this before. Frances Hunley was a sweet little lady in, in, in uh, our first church. And she, every, every now and then after Sunday service, you know, it was a small little country church, so there was one door out and one door in, so the pastor goes to the door. And, you know, because everybody's got to go out that way. And she'd shake my hand. She goes, you pray a pretty prayer. Now, I think she meant well on that. I really do. But it can't be my motive to pray a pretty prayer. My motive is to talk to God. If I, 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 I got to pray a pretty prayer. I just got to find this one little phrase that'll blow them away. And when you pray, next, next passage, 
Don't just babble on like the pagans do. You know, don't just babble on like the pagans do. For they think they'll be heard because they say a whole lot of words. And in 6a to Matthew says, Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. And then we're not going to get there today, maybe next week. Then it's where you have the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that he gives us. He said, Don't pray on with a whole bunch of words. The length of your prayer is not the issue. I mean, you think he's going to hear you just because you pray a long time? You pray five minutes instead of one minute? It's not the length of the prayer. Don't babble on like pagans. That's for other people. It's almost like he says, say what you want to say and get on with it. Now, let me, let me meddle a little bit. Now, some of you youngsters don't know what meddling means, do you? It used to be you, the preacher went to meddling, you didn't like it. But you know what I found out about that? that this whole book meddles in my life. It, 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 I can't read the book without it meddling. So let me meddle a little bit. I hope it's biblical meddling. Throughout my 24 years, or however long I've been in ministry, I've had people come up to me every now and then and say, um, don't ever call on me to pray in public. And I, I will obviously not call on them to pray in public. But I wondered why they don't want me to. After all, they're just talking to God. Are they worried what other people might think? Are they worried that they won't pray a pretty prayer? I can't judge. I can't judge when somebody says that. I can't judge why they say I wonder, though, what's the problem with just bowing your head and pray? Are you worried? What other, if you are worried about what other people think, you're worried about the wrong thing. Just pray. After all, the prayer is not for these people. It's, you're just talking to God. You do that at home. Why couldn't you do it in front of other people? Unless you're worried about other people. Six sixteen, and when you fast, fasting is 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 saying no to something good so you can say yes to something better. Fasting is maybe skipping lunch so you can have a time of prayer and 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 Bible reading. Skipping something good, lunch is good. Skipping something good so you can concentrate on something better. So when you fast, don't look somber and make yourself look like you're such a pitiful creature because you're going without food. Don't, don't do that. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward in full. When you, when you fast, just put your makeup on and look as good as you can. That's basically what I said. Don't have to, don't. Oh, look at poor Mark. He's, he's on his 22nd day of his fast. Look at him over there. Put oil on your head. All you people like all them oils. That's a biblical ab uh, admonition for that right there. <laughs> Put oil on your head and do all that stuff so it won't be obvious to others that you're fasting. But only to your Father who's unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. <laughs> do you trust Him that much? 
you have to go tell people what you did and tell the pastor of what you did. And, and there's nothing wrong with telling the pastor what you did unless you're trying to get the pastor to pat you on the back. Well, we went out and, that's great. Nothing wrong with that. It's the motive. Jesus reaches deep and wants to go inside out. He, 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 is, he wants you to do the right thing. But he wants you to do it for the right reason. Is it John 12, 42 or 10, 42 or whatever it is that says that um, Jesus, one thing Jesus had against the Pharisees is they, they loved the approval of men more than the approval of God. What a damning verse. Well, let me finish. Real quickly, what can we draw from this passage of Scripture that I've tried to talk you through? The Scripture is just 6-1 of Matthew. He gives three illustrations of how you outwork work 6-1 of Matthew out. Okay? So all of our Christian lives should not be done in front of other people's people if the reason we're doing it in front of other people is to be seen by them. I got my reward. There'll be no reward coming from God on that. So what, what, do we, what do we choose from this? Can we pull from this? I think I've already said, it's not what you do. It's why you do what you do. You've got to constantly ask yourself about the why. Am I doing it for the right reason? Now, let me get really trans... I've really debated whether to say this or not because it makes me look really, really bad. And nobody wants their pastor to look really, really bad. You know, you, know, you know who has trouble with this as much as anybody? And Pastor Horton knows this because he was a pastor for a long time and we pastors, we talk to one another. You know who can be people pleasers more than anybody else? Pastors. We can be professional people pleasers. So yesterday, this, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? You know, pastors always don't know how transparent to be, and so I'll probably cross the line here, okay? All right. So yesterday, Friday and Saturday, my back went out on me, so, so Friday and Saturday, I've been pretty much icing my back and trying to walk some, got health from my back, and, and trying to keep from, from sitting a whole lot, because that's not good on my back. And, and um, so about... Uh, so I guess it was Friday, about 2 o'clock, I got a text from Karen. I, I told her, I said, hey, I'm not coming in today. I said, I just really got to rest my back. And so she texted me about 2 o'clock, and she told me about, um, she told me about uh, Debbie Bricky. And some of you know Debbie Bricky. She's usually in the first service and sometimes in the second. And, and she had an accident, a freak accident. I don't have time to explain it to you, but it ended up her left arm and her right leg were both pretty severely broken. She's going to have to be off that leg for three months. and Freak accident. I, and so uh, Karen sent me a text and said, hey, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, told me about the issue. Well, my back's killing me. But she told me that Tim, her husband, is at, is at the hospital and the surgery's going to be four to five hours. And she went into surgery a few minutes ago. Did I tell you my back was killing me? Did I tell you that? <laughs> So obviously I had a decision to make, you know. 
Um, and here's the thought that flashed through my mind, and I'm not proud of this thought. I don't know if it flashed in my mind because I'm such a great sinner. I don't know if the, if the, if the devil put this in my mind or God just put it in my mind so he'd give me a sermon illustration today. I don't, I don't have any idea. But you know what I thought of as I got that text and my back was hurting? I say, well, Debbie Bricky works at Beaver Creek Nazarene. She's a business manager at Beaver Creek Nazarene. That pastor may go see her, and I can't let him go before I go. How sick is that? How deep, how deep is this people-pleasing in us? Now, thankfully, as, as a, a, when a lot of thoughts go through my head, thankfully, I'm enough of a Christian to be able to say, well, that's about the stupidest thing I've ever thought in my life. <laughs> Runs deep, friends. It's not what you do. Debbie Bricky, I, I sat for a little bit with Tim, uh, Debbie's husband. Sue and I went and we sat a little bit with him. And, you know, and I, I told him my back was, did I tell you my back was hurting? I told him, I told him, you know, my back's hurting. I can't sit very long, but we just wanted to come and pray with you and da 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 da. And so later that night, we got a, a text, uh, Sue got a text from, uh, Debbie Ricky's daughter goes to church here and says, oh, it meant so much for you to come. And Dad really appreciated it, da-da-da-da-da. And uh, why did I do that? I wonder. I don't know if I'll ever truly know the honest reason I did that. But if I did it to beat the Beaver Creek Nazarene pastor there, I have my reward. That text message was my reward. Now, what you do, it's why you do it. Next thing we have up here, Karen, God doesn't just want your behavior. He wants you inside out. He can get, he, you, we can all behave. We can all behave without him having us lock stock and barrel five eight of matthew is one of the beatitudes jesus said blessed are the pure in heart for they will see god i've told you this before he didn't say blessed are the pure in walk blessed are the pure in talk he said blessed are the pure in heart because maybe if you get your heart right your walk and your talk will take care of itself because it's inside out type of Christianity. God wants you, you. God doesn't want the Sunday morning you, the you that takes their turn in the nursery, the you that takes their turn with the eight and nine-year-olds. He wants you. He wants the you that you don't let anybody else know who you are. He wants that you. 
inside out. And my last thing. I told you that little phrase is where we get the word theater to be seen by. Our performance is for an audience of one. And I capitalize the O and one because I'm meaning God. Somebody secular life has said that the world is a stage and I guess in some way that it is who do you perform for the Sermon on the Mount could not be clearer you perform for an audience of one now how do you react <laughs> oh wait. This is, I'm going to hell, man. I can't live this. I mean, my, I, I don't live this way. My motives aren't always good. I just got to recommit myself. And while there's nothing wrong with recommitment, unless that recommitment is a fresh dose of God's Spirit in your life, unless that recommitment is asking for you to be empowered by His grace, Because you just can't do this by trying harder. This is God, man. This is the... I teach people in preaching classes not to introduce a new thing at the end of the sermon. I'm getting ready to do it here. <laughs> it's kind of a new thing. It's what I've talked about the last couple of weeks. This is the impartation. He imparts something to us of himself, of his spirit, of his grace. And only that allows us to be people with right motives and right intent, not like all those people who pray and give and fast to be seen by others. Our servers are coming to the table. I want to read this from Proverbs chapter 4. This is the message. It's not a translation. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. It's from, it's from Proverbs chapter 4. Keep vigilant and watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Avoid careless banter, white lies, and gossip. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Ignore all sideshow distractions. Watch your step and the road will stretch out smooth before you. Look neither right nor left. Leave evil in the dust. Um, keep vigilant. Be careful. Take heed. Pay attention to the why. Jesus, the lover of our souls, says, be careful, Mark, on why you do what you do. Be careful, church, on why you do what you do. Our tables and our altars are open. Let's continue to worship.